0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday, October 15th. I hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving long weekend. I hope you got the chance to get together with family, enjoy some turkey, some stuffing, some mashed potatoes, and... Maybe even a little pumpkin pie to end things off. And I hope for those of you that did get to partake in a lovely Thanksgiving feast, I hope you actually got to enjoy that time and uh, didn't resent spending that time with family as I know that some people often uh, feel that way during these big family get-togethers. I'm sure there are many out there who are bringing a turkey sandwich to work today. Maybe they're going to be having some uh, leftovers for dinner tonight. Before bringing another turkey sandwich to work tomorrow. I know in my case, often when I get together for, uh, for uh, family dinners, for, for turkey dinners, uh, it's like a week's worth of, of turkey sandwiches. And day one is great. Day two, it's great. Day three, it's okay. Day four, you know, it's, it's starting to get a little repetitive and old. So hopefully you can get all that turkey eaten and out of the way. Uh, so you can move on to different things come later in the week. Now, I didn't have that experience this year myself as I spent my weekend, my long weekend, in Los Angeles. I uh, had the chance to take a tour of the Warner Brothers studio and to see the LA Rams take on uh, the San Francisco 49ers and what was a terrible display of football. 49ers improved to 5-0, so I got to see an undefeated team. So I guess from that perspective, it was all right, but the game itself was a bit of a dud. And uh, I also got to see the LA Kings host the Vegas Golden Knights. Not a huge surprise that the Kings were outmatched, losing 5-2. to uh, Vegas did get some help from goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury, who made some unbelievable saves. Paul Stastny scored a pair of over, er, uh, power play goals, and the uh, Vegas Golden Knights scored that 5-2 to win. So it was a pretty good weekend for me, and of course, while I was down in Cali, I got a chance to go for a bit of a swim in my hotel, enjoy the sunshine outside, and for those who don't know what I look like, I am a redhead with a fair complexion, so of course, I did get a sunburn while I was down there as well. Probably wasn't the smartest thing for me to be outside in the sun watching a football game for four plus hours without sunscreen, but hey, sometimes, you know, you don't think that far in advance. I don't know. It's October. Why do I have to put sunscreen on? I know. I went to L.A. I'll remember for next time. So, of course, the long weekend was also a chance for people to cast their ballot as advanced voting took place here in Kamloops over the long weekend. That chance is now over. So if you didn't get the opportunity to go vote early, well, now you'll have to wait until Monday like the rest of us. Yes, we are just six days away from the federal election. Should be a very fun and exciting day here in Canada. I personally will be hosting our election coverage here on Radio NL on Monday evening starting at 6.30. So if you want an in-depth look, look at what is happening around the country and who is winning seats where. And, uh, you know, of course, I'll be keeping a very close eye on what's happening here in the Kamloops, Thompson, Caribou. So join me for that Monday evening starting at 6.30. Hopefully you have received your voter card in the mail and are ready to head out Monday to vote for who you believe should form the next government. I've said it before and I will say it again. Vote for who you want to form the next government. But I know that many of you will vote quote unquote strategically, um, you know, voting for the party that you don't want in or voting against the party that you don't want in. I absolutely hate that attitude, but I get it. I hate it, but I get it, but I don't agree with it. So, I will say vote with your heart, but I know many of you will vote with your head. Now, speaking of election coverage, Green Party leader Elizabeth May is making a stop in Kamloops today, which marks day 35 of the campaign. She's set to make an announcement regarding the Green Party's taxation policy early this afternoon before hosting a mini-rally and then taking part in some canvassing. May will be the second leader to make a stop here in Kamloops, with Liberal Leader Justin Trudeau having come here briefly on day two of the campaign. Now, uh, What the leaders are up to today, Trudeau will be spending today on the East Coast, making a stop in New Brunswick, as well as some stops in Nova Scotia, and ending his day in Halifax. Conservative Andrew Scheer will be spending his day in Quebec, making an announcement in Quebec City. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will be spending his day in the Toronto area. It is getting down to crunch time, and leaders will be spending time in places where they think they have a real chance to win a seat away from other parties, or maybe that they need that little extra push to make sure that they retain a certain seat. Now, with all of that out of the way, I do have a great show lined up for you. My first guest will be Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. My usual Monday guest has been moved to Tuesday as a result of the holiday Monday. So today we're going to be taking a little bit uh, of a look at an announcement made, or announcement that will be made by Attorney General David E. B. regarding legal aid in British Columbia with the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers and Legal Services Society. That's going to be coming up later today, so uh, we'll be taking a sneak peek at what that will be all about. We'll also be discussing a Supreme Court of Canada decision from Friday on what constitutes the lesser punishment. It was ruled that a convicted person is entitled to the lesser of two punishments, the one in effect when the offense took place or the one on the books at the time of sentencing. However, the guilty party does not have a constitutional right to the least severe penalty that might have been in effect between those two points. So the clarification of sentencing procedures came Friday in the case of Rosaire Poulin, who was convicted in Quebec in 2016 of sexual assault and acts of gross indecency. At the time of the incidents from 1979 to 87, the victim was between the ages of 7 and 15. A Quebec court said that under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, an accused has a right to the least harsh punishment in effect from the time of the offense until the sentencing. Poulin received a conditional sentence of two years less a day to be served in the community for the counts of gross indecency. The Crown unsuccessfully challenged the decision in the Quebec Court of Appeal, prompting an appeal to the Supreme Court. Its 4-3 decision was made and the High Court said Poulin, who has since passed away, was not eligible for the conditional sentence because it did not exist at the time of his offense or at his sentence, only temporarily between those two points. So we'll be getting Kyla's reaction to that decision. We'll also be having a bit of a chat about a situation in Alberta where legislation is being introduced to bring a uh, British law to the province that would give people access to their partner's criminal records in hopes it will help prevent domestic violence. So stay tuned to hear about all of that in a short while. I will also be uh, you know, in the back half of today's show getting a chance to speak with a local woman who's making a push for housing co-ops in Kamloops. Dolphin Nelson will be hosting a discussion Thursday evening with affordable housing being a hot topic. Nelson wants to shed some light on an idea that isn't getting much publicity. She has said that co-ops are about a population of people coming together with a common need and filling a gap. And the point of the exercise is to introduce Kamloops to the co-op model. So we'll find out a little bit more about 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 that model and how you can join in that discussion that'll be coming up at around the thirty five minute mark of today's program. And to end things off, it's time to talk local hockey. The Blazers scored a 3-1 win over Everett on Friday and then took down the arch-rival Kelowna Rockets on Saturday by a score of 5-2. I will be joined by Blazers play-by-play man and our own Radio NL sports guy John Keene in a little over half an hour to talk about the weekend that was in Blazers country and also take a look ahead at tonight's game at home at the Sandman Center against the Swift Current Broncos. So stick around. It's going to be a solid program here today. So, as I mentioned, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee will be joining me next. So, don't go anywhere.
0: <laughs> your opinion call or text 250 374 find us on facebook or on twitter at radio nl news this is jeff andreas on radionl.com.
1: welcome back to the jeff andreas show here on tuesday following the long weekend thanks so much as always for tuning in i am joined now by acumen laws kyla lee kyla thanks so much for joining me here following the thanksgiving long weekend
2: thank you good
1: morning uh did you get a chance to enjoy some time off here
2: i did yes i spent some time with my mom so it was
1: nice perfect so um yeah glad you had a good long weekend and uh thanks so much for joining me here on tuesday i know it's a little bit of a change from a regular monday but I always appreciate you joining me so um, I know we can't get too much in depth into today's announcement by Attorney General David Eby later uh, this afternoon, but uh, he will be making an announcement regarding legal aid in B.C. Uh, with the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers and the Legal Services Society. So without getting too much, I guess, into what is actually expected, can you maybe just talk a little bit about the importance of legal aid services and how critical they are to the justice system here in British Columbia?
2: legal aid is hugely critical to BC's justice system it's essentially right now available only to the most marginalized people in British Columbia and those are the people who often find themselves and, and we've talked about this before um, the most connected to the justice system poverty drives people um, into situations that lead with their lead to their contact with the justice system whether it's family law disputes whether it's immigration uh, or whether it's uh, whether it's criminal charges and so those people need the most assistance from the state because of how many resources the state has to prosecute them versus how few resources they have to mount a defense against charges or state actions taken against them.
1: And just can you speak a little bit just to you know how um, grateful I guess some of these clients would be to the fact that some of these lawyers are putting themselves in a position to be able to kind of take on these clients because obviously you know it's not necessarily the the money-making clients that you would want to take on in in that regard but obviously a very important service that they provide so just um you know can you just speak a little bit to those people who do put themselves out there for these you know marginalized clients and just you know how critical they are to their lives
2: there are so many people who have been practicing almost exclusively on legal aid and it's not a good living. It's, you know, most people if you actually do the math and break down the current rate for legal aid for lawyers, working criminal files in British Columbia, you would end up earning less than minimum wage doing full-time legal services. And nobody, you know, takes on the hundred thousand dollars of debt that it, that it costs to go to law school thinking that they're going to be earning less than minimum wage. So these are people who are giving their services essentially out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, And they deserve to be fairly compensated for their time because they're doing something that is helping the people who, who society says need the most help and need the most protection.
1: Uh, hopefully today's announcement from the Attorney General will will really help, uh, you know, get a clearer picture on sort of, you know, what those people earn and, and hopefully this will help more people get into that kind of services. Obviously, like you had mentioned, it's very vital uh, to the justice system and for those who are, you know, maybe in a more marginalized position and, and are often, you know, maybe overrepresented in, in the justice system itself. So we'll see what comes up in that regard here later this afternoon. Um, now let's talk a little bit about this Friday decision by the Supreme Court of Canada as it relates to a convicted person being entitled to the lesser of two punishments, the one in effect when the offense took place or the one on the books at the time of sentencing. In today's intro to today's show, I sort of give a brief rundown of why this came up as it relates to the 2016 case of Rosaire Poulin who was convicted in Quebec in 2016. Of sexual assault and acts of gross indecency. Now, uh, it isn't a constitutional right, I guess, to receive the lesser of two sentences. So, with that in mind, um, can you, Kyla, break down this decision a bit for me? And what are, I guess, the rights of someone who has been convicted as it relates to their sentencing? I mean, how do you understand what this particular ruling is going to do?
2: this ruling actually changes the way that the law had been interpreted up until now. Um, If the punishment was something at the time the offense was committed or something different at the time that the person was sentenced, um, the law says that you have the right to seek uh, the lowest punishment available in that time frame. And courts had been interpreting that uh, as including the right to seek anything that was available in the intervening time. So, you know, if if your offense was committed in the 70s and your you're charged in 2016, you could essentially seek any range of punishment that was available in that time frame. And the Supreme Court of Canada actually narrowed the interpretation of your charter protected rights, indicating that you can't seek anything in the range of time that had passed, but only this binary option of choosing to ask for the punishment that was available at the time the offense was committed, or ask for the punishment that was available at the time of sentencing. So it actually limits the rights. Of an accused person, which we don't see very often from the Supreme Court of Canada in its interpretation of the Charter.
1: That sounds like a pretty significant change. Then that you could go from looking at you know I don't know how many different potential um, charges you might be looking to to look into in some of these cases, but obviously there would be a pretty wide range, and now you're narrowing that down to two. Um, so that's ought to be a pretty significant impact for for lawyers who you know might be defending a client, and obviously it changes a lot of sort of what you can look at at potentially uh, defending them against.
2: And it also changes the advice you have to give your clients. I mean, if you know that the law is about to change to make a punishment no longer available, like when the Harper government several years ago got rid of conditional sentences for many offenses, you are better advised to tell your client, now's the time to turn yourself in and plead guilty um, and have your sentencing before the law changes because you're not going to be able to take advantage of a potentially better punishment that's about to disappear. So it makes difficult choices have to happen quickly or people who are facing criminal charges who who may be in the investigation stage.
1: Uh, joined by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. So with that in mind, I guess, does this potentially make your job easier as a defense lawyer? And just that, not, not easier to defend your clients, but just easier in the sense that there's a lot less, um, you know, digging through history that you might have to do when, when defending someone?
2: There is a lot less digging through history that we have to do as a result of this, but it does also make our jobs harder in the sense that we constantly have to be paying attention to what the intentions of government is as far as changing penalties, um, because if we have a, a client who's in one of those transitional phases, we need to be able to ensure that we give them all of the advice necessary for them to make an informed decision. So in some respects, it makes the job more difficult, and in some respects, it makes it easier.
1: Does that potentially make things quicker in the court system itself, given that there's only a couple of options being looked at now? Could that potentially kind of speed up some of the processes that are uh, in the court system at this time?
2: Oh, absolutely, because with the the law the way it was before the Supreme Court of Canada ruled this way, there were often many hours of court time spent looking at various amendments to the criminal code over the span of 30 years to see what punishment was in place and what the lowest available sentence was that the accused is entitled to ask for the benefit of. Um, now, at the end of the day, it was still up to the judge whether or not to impose that sentence, and the judge still had to decide whether that was a fit sentence in the circumstances. So, just because a lower punishment was available, doesn't necessarily mean that a person was ever going to get that as their punishment.
1: Uh, definitely, uh, some pretty significant impacts there as a result of that SEC decision. Um, I guess uh, you know, given the fact that it was made on Friday, is this something that you see kind of being? Um, taking into effect immediately? Do you see this, you know, kind of setting precedent right away or is this something that it's going to kind of take a little while to trickle down?
2: No, as soon as the Supreme Court of Canada makes their ruling, that's binding law on the entire country, so it's immediate.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I just wanted to double-check to see if that timeline does correlate. Um, So moving on, I did also want to ask, because I saw you tweeting about this here over the weekend, about legislation being introduced in Alberta. So this was brought forward after a woman in the province was uh, beaten by an ex-boyfriend and spent weeks in the hospital recovering from a violent attack. The couple had apparently met online more than six months prior to this specific attack, and she didn't know about his past history of violence against women. So Alberta is introducing legislation that would give people access to their partners' criminal records in hopes that it will help prevent domestic violence. Kyla, I guess, what is your initial thoughts on this? I'm all for preventing instances of violence, but I'm not sure how having access to your partner's criminal records is going to help. Um, You know, if if you don't know they have a history of violence, are you automatically going to start looking into their history now? That's kind of how this feels like this is going to go.
2: Well, exactly. It imports a lot of cynicism into relationships. And the reality is that lots of people plead guilty uh, to, to you know, offenses involving spousal assault that have far more layers to them than just, you know, I'm a bad person who tends to abuse my partner. There are nuanced circumstances that can lead to it. Um, you know, I see cases involving people who are in relationships with people who are mentally ill, who are being, you know, who are just, uh, just worn out from the, the Experience of that relationship. Who snap? Um, people who are involved in a, a consensual fight and one person gets charged and the other doesn't, and they plead guilty so that they can resolve it and get back together. There's way more going on in a guilty plea to a domestic violence situation in the vast majority of circumstances than just these these cases, and they do exist where people are just bad people who are abusive. And I think opening the door to having your potential partner access your criminal record, um, it ignores the nuance that's in those circumstances. And it exposes people to privacy breaches where they're going to have to share perhaps very difficult stories from their past that they wanted to move on and forget about.
1: Yeah, and I also have a bit of a fear too about what necessarily constitutes a relationship. Like you go on one date, do you get to go look into someone's history? Do you have any idea what that could potentially look like? I guess probably not at this point, but still it's a bit of a scary thought that um, you know, before really even getting to meet someone for, for more than a, a short period of time that you get to know their whole history when it comes to their criminal record.
2: And the the law has recently changed in Canada in relation to what constitutes a relationship. There's actually a statutory definition now that is as broad as potentially going on one date with a person. And that's a lot of information to give on a first date. I mean, I don't want people to know all that type of personal information about me on a first date, Um, you know, my my criminal history or or anything else about me. I have a criminal history, but that's not the point. I don't (laughs) want them to know. You know, the part of a first date is getting to know somebody to know whether you're even interested in pursuing a relationship. And having to disclose all that at the outset, I think, is, is... a potential relationship killer.
1: For sure. Well, unfortunately, that wraps up our time here, Kyla, but uh, thanks so much for joining me here on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what the plan is for next week at this point with it being Election Day on Monday, but we'll definitely be in touch, and uh, as always, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks
2: for having
1: me. Awesome. That was Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Coming up after the break, what are housing co-ops, and why is it something that more people should be considering here in Kamloops? Well, I'll be talking more about that after this. (laughs)
0: You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 a.m. News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back
1: into the Jeff Andreas Show, and thanks for joining me here on Tuesday. I hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving long weekend. This Thursday, cooperative housing is going to be the subject of the first Kamloops Co-op Cafe, a series of events that's being hosted here by Daphne Nelson, who is planning to help educate locals on how cooperative businesses and organizations operate. Here to give a sneak peek on what will be discussed and provide a snapshot of exactly what housing co-ops are is Daphne Nelson. Daphne, thanks so much for coming in.
3: Hi, thank you. Good morning.
1: How are you doing today?
3: I'm well. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing all right here. Uh, nice. Yeah, had a great long weekend, so not complaining about that. Um, so, I uh, appreciate you taking the time to come in. So, here, affordable housing is obviously a hot topic these days, uh, particularly here in BC, the housing market is always seems to be coming up. So, maybe before we get too much into Thursday's event and sort of what will be happening, I guess, just why is the subject of affordable housing something that's so important to you?
3: Um, affordable housing, but cooperative housing generally uh, both are important to me because I really do see a lot of folks around, even around town, friends, all that, who are having a hard time just paying their rent and feeling uh, bad about the fact that they're in a continual rent that you know so-called rent cycle. So uh, cooperative housing gives people the opportunity or the um, option of co-owning a house or um, a facility. Could be townhouses, could be uh, an apartment building, depending on the model, uh, and being an owner in in that model.
1: So, from what I understand, you feel this um, option of cooperative housing is not something that's getting enough discussion, correct? Uh,
3: you know, it it seems to be an overlooked option as far as as affordable housing is concerned, and I I don't know all the ins and outs. I'm I'm more of a cooperator generally. I uh, so uh, I do want. Out people to understand that it is an option for them when they're looking at different affordable housing opportunities. So
1: can you maybe describe sort of your understanding of the cooperative housing model and sort of mm-hmm. what that looks like? So for someone who's looking to get into the housing market, if they look at the option of a co-op how, home, what does that look like?
3: It really depends on the model that you're looking at. So here in Kamloops, we do have three different models entirely. Uh, starting with the Sahali cooperative housing uh, model, they are more traditional in their uh, w- the way they're set up. It is uh, 60 units. You pay a, a share. Uh, I can't remember the amount of their share, but some some shares are a thousand dollars, some shares are six thousand dollars. Depends on the the um, housing co-op, and then you. So once you've paid your share to to become a purchaser or an, an owner, you would then pay a monthly housing fee instead of rent because you are now an owner, and in that model. You have a, a caretaker, I suppose is the word, who would come around and make sure the facilities kept up. And uh, they're they're a staff person. And uh, in a in a, a housing a co-op housing or co-op model, you have a board of directors who takes care of the decisions for the co-op, kind of like a strata, but it, it did different in, mm-hmm. in in the way that it's structured. And whereas, say the rare birds, they are a um, I think a six-member or, or there are six units in their building, and it's more equity-based. So, whatever the amount of their house is, if it was a uh, hundred and twenty dollars, they then there's six units. Each person would pay twenty dollars to live, and they wouldn't have an ongoing housing fee. So, I'm using one hundred and twenty dollars just because yeah, it, yeah. you know six people. <laughs> but
1: perfect. Okay, so <clears> throat> throat> it's sort of. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it sounds almost sort of like a, a rent-to-own sort of kind of um, you know pol- uh, um, model, if you will. Uh, I mean, obviously not exactly the same by any means, but just sort of in that same vein, you're paying a little bit of money towards you know slowly kind of owning a home.
3: I suppose, although in the uh, co-op model, like in the Sahali co-op, uh, they as soon as they pay for their shares. They are an owner of that, um, they're an owner, a co owner of that facility. Okay. So, um, in, in the sense of their financing, I suppose, yes. Because if you okay. had to finance your uh, share, your portion of your co-op, then yes, that would be more of a rent to own or I guess a mortgage in uh, the case of, I think the rare birds would, he, would you'd have to take a mortgage maybe. I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't know the legalities. This is, so just to kind of backtrack a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on this. I am simply trying to start and have conversations. I do have uh, people that I can, can, you know, uh, get involved a little bit more if, if we do want to have some serious conversations and, and form a co-op and and get some people some affordable housing. But me personally, I am not an expert. I just want to have the conversations.
1: Okay. So uh, Daphne, I guess that kind of leads perfectly into talking a little bit about what's going to be happening on Thursday. So people who are interested in learning a little bit more about this um type of housing, cooperative housing, and, and sort of what it entails. Uh, what's going to be happening Thursday, and where can people kind of come to, to figure some some more information out?
3: Okay, so for, I'll start at the beginning. Uh, if you will go to Brown Paper Tickets and type in Affordable Housing Co-op Style, you can find the free t- online ticket. Just let us know you're coming so we can prepare for that. It will be at Rare Birds. It is going to go from 6 to 8 p.m., and uh, I have hosted one uh, other Affordable Housing Co-op style um, uh, workshop, but this this is going to, uh, I'm hoping, start off a co-op series, Co-op Cafe series, and um, so as a result, I am looking to start the day or the meeting off or the workshop by talking about co-ops specifically, talking about what is a co-op, how what different types of co-ops there are, and maybe just do a little bit of education around co-ops generally, and then I want to which pages and or turn the page or whatever that term is (laughs) and um, talk about co-op housing and uh, the rare birds are probably going to do a little bit of a talk about how they came together. Uh, no pressure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and then there there are going to be other people there wanting to learn about it. I understand there's going to be some folks who came to our last one who might have a few like next level questions. Um, and then after that, if uh, we dec- or if they decide they want to come together, then uh, they can contact me and I can use my contacts to uh, figure out how a housing co-op comes together. So
1: are you hoping, I guess, that a lot of people who maybe aren't aware of this, and, and, you know, when we're talking about the uh, whole issue of affordable housing, a lot of people who are, you know, younger maybe are having issues when it comes to getting a down payment and things like that to actually own their home, this might be an option that they haven't thought about. So hopefully you can get kind of those people out to learn more about this Mm -hmm. and maybe think about it as a potential option moving forward. And then not only that... But obviously there are the the three uh cooperative housing uh complexes that exist here in kamloops currently but even for people who are supplying housing maybe this is something that they're not necessarily considering providing um so it might just help generate that conversation and and make more people aware that it this model exists and and just think about not only providing it but also looking into it
3: absolutely yes i'm i would um love for somebody who is providing housing, somebody who might be um, generous in nature, who has uh, some uh, housing units that they would consider transitioning to co op housing, uh, you know, as a form of a donation back to the city, um, if that was something that the, that person felt was a good good fit. So I am I'm welcoming um, anyone who is in that position or uh, developers or any, any folks like that even to uh, come and sit at this, around this table to learn more about the model. So it's not just the people who want to have the housing spots, it's the people who are looking for different options, as you said.
1: Do you think there's any particular reason why cooperative housing doesn't get you know more discussion? Do you think they, you know it's just something that people don't think of as an option, or it's just not, you know, uh, there's not enough of these units for people to really know that it exists or why do you think it doesn't get the discussion that maybe it warrants?
3: Well, in uh, larger centers where housing has historically been really expensive for really long, there's a long history of cooperative housing and where people came together to buy a building or put units in a building and, and, and that's how they're formed. So in Vancouver, Montreal, there, uh, you know, other big cities, these are the, like, you know, they're normal. Mm-hmm. But I think, and this is just me talking out, uh, uh, you know, uh, out loud, um, in canvas I think we haven't seen a lot of co-ops. We haven't seen a lot of co-op housing because for the longest time we've just been um, a generally great uh, easy place to live and I think the affordable housing component has only just become uh, an issue uh, over the last little while. And so just to back up a one one little step, co-ops are generally formed when a community of folks comes together around a common issue that they want to solve the problem of. So whether it's housing or whether it's I can't afford to buy this, these kinds of groceries so I'm going to purchase, uh, use my purchasing power, mm-hmm. my group purchasing power. Uh, f- credit unions are financial cooperatives. So there are co-ops out there. We just have to know what they are and understand them more fully to really get a... F- good use of them
1: perfect and that's what thursday's event is is all about
3: yes thank you so much
1: perfect well uh, maybe one more time before i let you go do you want to just plug the event one more time uh
3: um cooperative housing or no sorry affordable housing co-op style uh at the rare birds on thursday from 6 to 8 p.m go to brown paper tickets and type in affordable housing co-op style thanks again jeff
1: thanks so much daphne appreciate you taking the time to come in and hopefully you get a good crowd out on thursday night
3: you betcha thanks
1: awesome that was daphne nelson and uh yeah Check out her event on Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Coming up next, it was a good weekend here for the Bla- Blazers with a pair of wins. I'll be joined by Blazers play-by-play man and our NL sports guy, Mr. John Keene, after this. So, stick around. Jerry Blazer
0: Nation assembles here. Quinn Schmiemann in overtime! Exciting WHL action is live on Radio NL.
4: Tonight, the boys are back in town to shut down Dean Brockman and Swift Current Broncos. John Keane gets you ready with the Kamloops Insurance pregame show at 6.30. Face-off from Mark Reckway at 7.05. Huge goal
0: The power play! Headland Kamloops Blazers Hockey on Radio NL 610 AM. <laughs>
1: Welcome back in here on Blazers game day. It is Tuesday, October 15th, and your Kamloops Blazers are set to host the Swift Current Broncos tonight at the Sandman Center. Of course, the Blazers also did go 2-0 and over the weekend with wins over Everett and Kelowna. And here to break it all down is Blazers play-by-play guy, John Keene. John, thanks so much for joining me.
4: Hey, good morning, Jeff. Yeah, here we go. Brand new week. Uh, a busy one here for the hockey club with, uh, with three home games ahead.
1: Yeah, well, we'll get into all of that uh, here in a little bit, but let's start by, I guess, taking a quick look back at the weekend that was. Um, So starting with Friday night in Everett, Blazers uh, did fall at home to the Silver Tips on the 5th of October, but uh, Blazers were able to get a little revenge there on Friday night. I guess just can you break down that game a little bit for me and what you saw there?
4: Yeah, you know, it, it was uh, it was a big win and effort for this hockey club that struggled to to win there recently. Uh, going into that game, had not won since uh, well, 2017 in that in that rink, spanning a couple seasons. So it was uh, it was an important victory because they started well. Uh, and they just really dominated that game from start to finish, although the score didn't really reflect it. You know, they outshot Everett all three periods. They had the better are the opportunities, and it was nice to see them get rewarded for that effort, because at times this season, maybe they haven't been rewarded for being you know, the better team as far as the uh, shots and chances go, uh, but they were able to you know, lock it down in the third period and, and not give Everett much and, uh, and post a, a much-needed win there to kick off the weekend.
1: Even with all that said, I guess uh, I think it was Stankovan who did score the empty or, uh on that Friday night game to put them up by two. I guess just how important was it to get that uh, you know insurance marker there in the end? Was there a good push being put on by the Silver Tips there to close things out?
4: You know, not really. You know, I, I didn't really feel that that Everett uh, really had that that great a chance. Uh, and if so, and if they did, uh, Dylan Garand was on that night. He made some saves earlier in the game, particularly in the first period, uh, where he was really good. Uh, that was one of the better third periods I've seen. You know, uh, the Blazers play in the last year or two uh just you know making sure they don't take any chances or risks and uh just trying to play kind of a lockdown type of a game and, and they, they were really in control there and and uh, yeah the empty netter was nice to seal it for sure and uh you know to move onwards and uh, that's that's a tough place to go into everett they they have a, a kind of a little magic on home ice and their fans are are pretty intense and uh, you know to, to beat everett you know, in their rank that was uh, that's a big start.
1: Yeah, well, if they haven't won there in two years, then that's a pretty good momentum builder for the team itself. Uh, and obviously, they were able to take some of that momentum into Saturday night's game in Kelowna. Uh, pretty action-packed game there with the 5-2 win for the Blazers. I want to start with Max Martin getting not only his first goal as a Blazer, but then he also did grab the empty netter as well. Uh, so tell me about his addition to this team and how he's sort of settling in. A couple of goals definitely will help, uh, you know, get a little bit of love from your fans and your teammates too.
4: Yeah, you know, we saw Max Martin's debut on home ice, actually, uh, against the Everett Silvertips a uh, couple couple of weeks back now. And I don't really think that was his true game. You know, he would, uh, got in late the night before uh, and really kind of had to hurry uh, systems-wise and power play-wise to get in. But, you know, he, he really looks like the real deal back there, just sort of a calming influence. Uh, he, he's a leader. Uh, you know the two goals he scored uh, were big. The, the power play goal was a massive insurance marker in Kelowna. But it's it's not so much the goals, Jeff. Mm-hmm. You know he just kind of brings this presence to him that you know he he's elusive. He can move pucks uh, on the bench. I'm told that you know he's a he's a guy that you know just knows when to kind of pipe up and and knows how to calm things down if things get a little out of hand. And you know and he's a, he's a big addition. And you know he, he just has this you know, he, he's won before he's won that WHL title and he kind of carries himself a little bit different. Like he has this kind of quiet confidence about him. I think that really kind of solidifies that blue line with some of the younger players on there. They can look up to this guy and he's a guy you want on the ice in, in those, uh, those game time situations where the game could be on the line.
1: Yeah, definitely good to have that veteran presence and, uh, you know, helping bring in these these 20-year-olds is definitely seems to be having an impact here on this Blazers team. And and speaking of new additions and, and the 20-year-old kids, uh, there was a sick goal in this game by Martin Lang on a great feed from Ryan Hughes. I mean, Hughes kid's just continuing to impress since he came over. Uh, two goals, five assists, seven points in six games. I mean, just how great has this addition been for this Blazers team?
4: Yeah, credit Matt Bardsley. You know, he, he, I think, uh, addressed that he wanted to upgrade two of his 20-year-old positions, uh, given that the time was right and the price was right. And, you know, he, he targeted a forward and a defenseman. And then with that forward spot, Ryan Hughes came up. And uh, this one was a little bit off the radar. I think people thought a Max Martin-type upgrade was coming on the blue line. But, I, you know, I don't think people thought that maybe... Uh, you know, the Blazers had moved so quick on a forward. But, you know, he has uh, familiarity with Ryan Hughes. They were both in the Portland organization. In fact, uh, Matt Barsley recruited him in Portland. So he knows what he was getting with him. And uh, you're right, that was a great pass, kind of against the grain, back to Martin Lang backdoor uh, to, to get the scoring started. And, you know, you put Logan Stankovit on that line as well. And that's a pretty good trio here. You know, a lot of talk is, you know, the Zary, Franklinson, the line. And that's a good line. And they were good against Kelowna too. But when you can roll out, Hughes, Lang, Stan Colbin, uh, right after that, I mean, that's that's a, that's a pretty good trio. And then you have Hughes on the top power play unit as they run four forwards and a, and a defenseman. They have Hughes on the back end uh, on, the, on the point there. Uh, you know, he just brings, a, a, a again, a veteran presence who's slippery and a guy that fits in right away. You know, the guys have taken to him very quickly. He's got a smile on his face. You know, he blends right in here and really fits the style of, of how the Blazers want to play this year. Uh,
1: joined by Blazers play-by-play guy John Keane. and uh, since you brought him up too I did want to ask you a quick question about uh, Connor Zeri because obviously you did the story I believe it was last week talking about how he was a little bit disappointed in his draft ranking um, you know as he is draft eligible here this upcoming draft uh, the 2020 NHL draft and uh, you know he was ranked I believe a B when he was hoping to get that A rating uh, but didn't seem to phase him or maybe it did phase him in the sense that he seems to have picked up his game a little bit. Nice goal uh, against Kelowna there on Saturday night. Now has points in nine straight games. Uh, I guess just just what is he, What have you seen uh, from Connor since since that draft ranking came out? And, and you know what did he do over the course of those two games to try to help improve that stock?
4: Well, you know, uh, pardon my expression, but I think that draft ranking pissed him off. I, I really did. You know, when I sat with him, he kind of had that kind of that you know that kind of look to say like hey, you know, that's kind of a slap in the face. Even though it is it is NHL Central Scouting, and, and yes, they are important, but every NHL team has their own Scouting team, obviously, and makes their own conclusions And Central Scouting has missed the mark. The one thing for me on that Central Scouting ranking is that uh, around the world, they put uh, 25 uh, A ratings on players. Well, there's... 31 teams that have NHL first round picks if I'm not mistaken here. So, uh, I guess they're saying that six teams will get B rated prospects. So, uh, what I what I'm trying to say is that I I think he he recognized that. He took he didn't take it to heart, but he definitely kind of used it as a bit of motivation. It is. And he mentioned 9 game point streak uh, it, you know, if you go back to last year's regular season, he's riding a 14-game regular season point streak. He had all these big goals down the stretch uh, and big games to help the Blazers into the playoff series. He's a, he's a clutch kid. Goalie scorer, you mentioned, it was, it was a real nice one there, working with Santazo and, and Franklin. And he's motivated. You know, he, he says confidently. He, he knows how good he is. And, you know, he's a competitive guy as well. He's not cocky. But he has a certain sort of way he carries himself that, that, uh, you know, he's an elite player, and you don't see that very often. You see players that could be good players, but maybe don't kind of have that swagger, that confidence. He knows he knows his abilities, and I think we know his abilities here too, and, you know, I think we're going to see that more as as the season winds on. But uh, the big thing here about Connor is that he doesn't have to carry the mail here. There's a lot of weapons on this team. Uh, they can really mix it up. They have three lines that can score. Uh, they have two power play units that can that can uh, produce. So he doesn't have to be the guy. He can blend in a little bit here and maybe take advantage of the fact that uh, teams have to pay attention to uh, two or three lines here to try to slow this team down.
1: And uh, just to point out, uh, Seattle will be joining the league next year, so 32 first-round picks coming up. Um, also, yeah. we got 30 seconds left here, John, so just give, me a, give you a quick chance to tee up what's on tap for tonight.
4: All right, so Swift Current comes in. They have not won in Kamloops in 11 years or so. Uh, last time they won was 2008 in this bar, The Blazers have won the last four. Swift Current's still in a bit of a rebuild after their uh, two year uh, removed from a WHL title. Still trying to get through that. Uh, one exciting part of this team is that Matthew Ward, a young 15-year-old uh, player from Kamloops, the Broncos' first-round pick, will make his debut tonight in the WHL here uh, in his hometown for the Broncos, so that's something to watch. But you know, the Blazers uh, can't overlook this, this Broncos team they'll be they'll be uh plucky and they'll be tough they'll be hard out but but i think on paper anyways the blazers have the advantage
1: and don't forget you can listen to that game right here on radio now well john thanks so much for joining me i really appreciate you taking the time
4: Okay, Jeff, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you later today, and uh, hopefully it's a, it's a good week here to kick it off
1: tonight. I hope so as well. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me, and of course a big thank you to all of you for listening, and of course you can hear that Swift Current uh, game here in Kamloops on Radio NL later this evening, so stick around for all of that. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, if you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.